1: This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by USA Facts, a nonpartisan view of our nation in numbers. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. As the nation grapples with the unprecedented coronavirus crisis, access to reliable data about the spread of the virus and its impact on the economy is vital. In this segment, you'll hear from FDA Commissioner Dr. Stephen Hahn, a member of the White House Task Force. Let's listen. Good morning. I'm Bob Costa. Good to be with you again for Washington Post Live. This morning we are joined, as you can see, by Dr. Stephen Hahn, who's a member of the President's Coronavirus Task Force and Commissioner of the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. And you may follow him, and if you don't, he oversees efforts on medical testing, public health, and drug approval. And he's been doing that throughout this pandemic and before the pandemic. Dr. Hahn, thanks so much for being with us today. Bob, thank you for having me. My best to your viewers. Thank you, sir. So we've heard a lot from our viewers and our readers at The Post about this interview. And the top of mind question for almost every single person is when will a reliable antibody test be available for mass use across the nation?
0: So Bob, um, a serologic test or the antibody test, test um, is a test that detects a person's natural immunity after having had infection from the COVID-19 virus. So there's a timing issue here, there's a period of time after which that test would work. The reason I'm bringing that up is it has its role, but it has its role based upon the timing of when that antibody would, de- de- ant- antibody would develop. So uh, the FDA's uh, role here is to evaluate those tests and determine the reliability um, as well as the reproducibility of those tests. We've currently authored, um, as of la- uh, authorized as of last night, four serologic antibody tests. Um, As part of our March 16th regulatory flexibility, um, we did permit laboratories around the country uh, to develop their own tests and to come to market and to use that as long as they validated those tests. And 84 companies or laboratories have told us that they are doing that. And so we expect more to come through the regular emergency use authorization process, which is where FDA actually has oversight onto the testing characteristics and has a stamp of approval with FDA. Uh, So we expect more companies to come through that and we're working very actively. I have three or four calls a week with with laboratory test developers uh, to make sure that we're on track, that uh, they have the supplies they need, they have the samples they need, and to remove any roadblocks to the development of these tests.
1: Dr. Han, you've expressed concern about the FDA allowing dozens of tests, some of them made in China, to come into the U.S. market without a full FDA review.
0: Why do you have those concerns and do you continue to have them? so, um, we're we're always, and since the beginning of this ede- epidemic, uh, whether it was with uh, drugs or PPE or diagnostic tests, we're always trying to strike a balance between regulatory oversight and regulatory flexibility. And the point you're making is really good one that the Americans are concerned about, and that is, can we rely upon the serologic tests that are out there? What I can tell you is that if a company or a laboratory test developer, comes through the the emergency use authorization process at fda we put our stamp of approval behind that we've looked at the data we've seen the validation Uh, we know that it's reproducible Uh, so those are the ones that we can stand behind we do know that others have come to market and we've reached out to them and asked them to send us their tests some have some haven't and in a partnership with the nih as well as the CDC, we're performing validation studies of those tests, and we commit to being uh, transparent about those data. The bottom line is that people should be very cautious about the tests that aren't backed up by FDA emergency use authorization, and that is on our website. And if they haven't, it's really incumbent upon the lab that uses those tests to do their own independent validation. I can't stress that enough.
1: Was it the FDA's decision to allow this to unfold as it has unfolded?
0: We did provide that regulatory flexibility so that there could be more testing on the market with the caveat, of course, that whoever wants to use those tests must do their independent validation.
1: There's also been a shortage, and the Post has been in-depth on reporting this, of asthma drugs and sedatives
0: for ventilator patients. How are you going to fix that shortage problem? So uh, the asthma drugs, we recently approved a new generic. Uh, We continue to review those applications and we will absolutely work with manufacturers, number one to increase the supply from current manufacturers, as well as to expedite the approval of any application we have before us. The sedative drugs, um, that's an important issue, and you probably realize that one of those drugs, propofol, was recently added to our drug shortage list. This Mm -hmm. drug has been off and on our drug shortage list uh, for quite some time, but most recently got got added back on because of the issues around ventilated patients. And so, what we're doing is we're finding alternatives that we can recommend to healthcare providers and hospitals, um, as well as uh, working with the manufacturers to increase those supply. And our drug shortage list, as you probably know, Bob, has been in place for some time, and there are a multitude of factors that are related to drug shortages, including the precursors for those drugs, as well as increased demand. In this case, for the asthma drugs, and the sedative drugs. It really is about increased demand. And one of the things that FDA does is talk to manufacturers, where, find out where supply is, and try to marry those two up. And where there's spot shortages by some hospitals, we'll work with those hospitals to try to find supply around the country where maybe demand isn't quite as large.
1: Beyond testing, Dr. Hahn, all of our readers are talking about potential drugs for use with COVID-19, and when you dig a little deep into the FDA, you find that there's a Center for Drug Evaluation and Research, CDER, and I wonder as a reporter, does that CDER have the right in-house expertise, the appropriate resources at this moment, this critical
0: moment, to properly evaluate COVID drug candidates? So we have seen a surge um, in the applications to the agency for potential drugs uh, that are that are um, being considered for COVID-19, we took an all hands approach at the agency called the. COVID treatment acceleration program where we brought people from across the agency, not just the Center for Drug Evaluation Research, but Center for Biologic Evaluation Research and all of our other centers, some of which weren't as busy as as the the Drug Evaluation Center and brought those people to the table. We did this uh, uh, about a month ago and, and prior to that had been also working on a prioritization schema around this. I am completely confident, Bob, in the scientific expertise of the people at FDA Um, They are wonderful. Uh, They have looked at these applications. They have prioritized them, um, and they have been making decisions based upon data and science. And just a little anecdote here, Bob, I was on a call this morning, early this morning, with the team that's actually doing this prioritization and work. And I can tell you that um, the science is uh, being applied very well. Uh, We're using a data-driven approach. And at this point uh, with the applications, we do not have a significant lag in assessing those applications. applications. Now much of this is dependent upon the sponsors, the people that are coming toward us bringing the data. We just want to make sure that they have the right information and they know what data we need so that we can make the appropriate decision for the American people. To expedite
1: those clinical trials, is there any chance you go beyond our borders and work with the European medicines agencies or other foreign agencies?
0: Absolutely. We have uh, relationships with our um, brother and sister regulatory agencies around the world and we absolutely are participating in that let me describe one effort with respect to vaccine development. Um, We want to develop what's called a master protocol, which is where um, multiple different vaccines, and this can be done for therapeutics and has been done for therapeutics, can be entered into this protocol using a very sort of similar clinical trials approach and statistical approach. It's a very efficient way of looking at multiple different therapeutics vaccines. So that's just one example of how we will and are doing that moving forward and now. In terms of the
1: drugs that are are on your radar, we've been reading about Avigen and reporting on that, Favapirvir, it's a Japanese antiviral. Do you see an expansion of trials on that specific drug
0: in the coming weeks? We have seen applications um, and we did approve uh, a, a go forward for one of those trials. Um, we are open and have been actively working with sponsors on these trials. When they come to us, we do not provide any delay. We want to look at the science, make sure that there's adequate protections for, for uh, people who enroll in these trials. So yes, I expect to see more in that, in that area. What
1: about when you step back a little bit, Dr. Hahn, and you look at all the drug legacy products out there? Is there anything that's under consideration for approval for COVID-19 that we're not really talking about that you think
0: is going to come up and be an important drug? There are are many drugs. I mean, we are getting hundreds of applications, and we're prioritizing those where we think the science is best, although we're looking at every application. And yes, I, I do think that's the case. I'm limited, Bob, and I'm sorry about this, by confidential commercial information, so I can't speak to anything that's not in the public domain, but I do think that's the case that you're describing. Bob, we have tremendous academics, drug innovators, manufacturers who are looking at a wide range of therapeutics, and although um, I think we have seen evidence that our mitigation efforts are working, uh, we have to keep pushing forward very aggressively on this because we need to make sure that we have all the available resources as we move into the summer and the fall.
1: Dr. Hahn, since we're in the middle of a pandemic, if some of these drugs do get FDA approval, will traditional FDA rules and regulations for direct-to-consumer advertising be relaxed in any way?
0: We are going to look at all of our authorities and be as flexible as possible. And Bob, this is another point about risk versus benefit. In an emergency situation, when we use our emergency use authority, Our job is to assess the risk and the benefit. So if we determine that a certain set of authorities, such as the direct-to-consumer advertising, um, is something of value and the benefit outweighs any concerns or risks, we would certainly move forward. We'll take these on a case-by-case basis. If we see that in general a certain approach is the right approach to take from a broader point of view, we'll make that uh, guidance known as well.
1: Dr. Hahn, anyone who looks at your biography, you're a longtime medical professional. Uh, you may have seen your name in one of my recent stories in the Post. You were part of a meeting at the White House with Laura Ingram on hydroxychloroquine. As a reporter, I have to ask, do you feel pressured by this White House in any way to prod hydroxychloroquine along toward approval?
0: Um, I I do not feel any pressure um, other than the urgency of the situation around COVID-19. I can tell you my conversations with the White House have been very professional. Um, I have repeatedly told everyone, and I will tell you this, Bob, that I can promise the American people that FDA will use science and data to drive our decisions always. That is our solemn promise to the American people, and we will keep that promise.
1: And so your emergency authorization was FDA's sole decision, not something that was pressured from the outside? That
0: was FDA's decision, absolutely. And let me explain that, Bob. It's a really uh, excellent question. And that is... um, We uh, received a lot of donated drug um, for use uh, in this particular situation, hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine. And one of the legal parts of the uh, agreement for that donated drug was in fact to have an emergency use authorization. And you'll see in our emergency use authorization that we use the data that's been published about hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine to drive that decision. This does not mean that FDA has authorized the use of this drug for the treatment of COVID-19, but it does allow the drug to come into the system so that it can be used for those really important clinical trials, as well as for doctors to prescribe in a doctor-patient relationship if they see fit. But let me assure the American people, again, we're using data and we're using science to make these decisions.
1: Just one final thing. We, a lot of people reading out there, and we've gotten emails about this anecdotal reports of Heart conditions or side effects from hydroxychloroquine, should they have any caution by trying to pursue that at all, even though it's being used by doctors to treat COVID-19 in some
0: cases? Well, a couple of things here. One and foremost, and you're right, um, as little as three months ago, I was a practicing physician and uh, nothing's more sacred and important than the doctor-patient relationship, and this conversation has to take place between a patient and a doctor. What medications are the patient on? What other medications are going to be started? Do they have an underlying heart condition? We do know that the drugs, uh, the drug hydroxychloroquine, has been used for years um, in the uh, setting of lupus, for example, and is safe. Uh, But we also know that when it's combined with other drugs, there might be an increased risk of heart complications. So again, uh, doctors need to be aware of this. They need to know the facts behind this. And then they need to make a decision that's absolutely best for the patients. And one thing, Bob, I know about American medicine, our doctors and nurses do that. They have their interests of their patients at heart. And that relationship, again, is sacred and really important to, to keep it within that conversation.
1: And and final question here, Dr. Hahn. I know you're busy. Appreciate your time. The president, as you know, has been talking about trying to reopen parts of this country and its economy around May 1st. Are you comfortable uh, with that decision uh, and that push to move toward May 1st as a, a general opening date for parts of the economy?
0: So this is going to be a data and science driven decision I am comfortable with using data and science to make that decision. I have been incredibly proud of the task force and how the doctors have come together with everyone, uh, governors, uh, uh, folks in Congress, uh, the White House, to actually have those very collaborative discussions. A lot of give and take and a lot of discussion about this. And so that the decision that the president makes and the recommendations that he has will be fully informed by the information that we have and particularly the science and the data.
1: But is there any part about testing, just a one quick follow-up, any, part, any metric on testing you, you would want to
0: see before that happens? Well, what I want to see is the appropriate use of testing um, in this setting. And I know that the task force doctors have worked very hard to determine what is the appropriate role for testing. And remember, big country, areas where there have been hotspots spots and folks who've been infected at a higher prevalence than in other areas, we must individualize for different geographic areas And we must also individualize for the different patient characteristics. So a 22-year-old who is healthy is going to be different in terms of how a physician or a healthcare provider or a state health official will will address that versus someone who's older and has coexisting uh, illnesses and might be on other medications. So it's a complicated issue, and it's the interface of both economic, political, but most importantly, health and safety realities.
1: Dr. Stephen Hahn, Commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration and a member of President Trump's Coronavirus Task Force, thank you very much for your time this morning. Thank you, Bob. My
0: best to the American people.
1: And thank you for joining us here on Washington Post Live. We will be back next week with more programming. Even though you're at home, we're going to do our best to provide you with uh, conversations with people who are making decisions in this country Uh, at the state level and at the federal level. And thanks to Karen Tumulti and Steve Ballmer for joining us earlier. I'm Bob Costa. Stay safe. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.